Welcome to Pixel Tunes Radio, a podcast where we have fun talking about video games and video game music. I am Mike. And I'm Ed. And we are here to talk about puzzle games. This is a puzzling playlist. Yes. That's what I like to call it. You know, after the Metroid episode, episode 28, we wanted to take a, I don't know, I guess you could say a happier, less serious tone. Yeah. It seems like every time we do an episode, it's like the opposite theme of the episode that came yeah. before it, you know? So so this this is going to be such a happy and bright episode. Our next one is going to be so completely depressing you're not even yeah. going to want to hear it. It's going to be like Shadow of the Beast over and over. <laughs> yeah, I figured we'd talk a little bit about puzzle games and the influences that puzzle games have had on all the picks that we've chosen. And I think we have a really good variety here. There's a lot of really awesome music that's just really very different. Yeah, a lot of different systems represented too. That's true. But the main commonality between all these games is that I think, with the exception of maybe one or two, they all really owe their heritage to the original Tetris. That's right. Which came out. So, you know, Tetris was released in, God, what was it, like 1980? 88, I think, or 87. 84. Yeah, the original release date was 1984. Wow. Um, that was on the Russian Electronica 60 machine from Russia. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, Tetris was created by uh, Alexei Bahitnov, and so he was a Russian programmer, and then it spiraled like wildfire after yeah, the original Tetris became so popular. So it showed up on, on DOS in 86, mm-hmm. um, it was on the ZX Spectrum in 87, and the Amstrad, so it was in Europe for a while throughout the 80s. And it didn't make its way over to a Famicom and NES until 1989. Oh, okay. And the Game Boy was 89 as well. June of 89, it came out on the Game Boy. Right. And then November of 89, it was a holiday release for the NES. Okay. And it was huge. I mean, I remember people playing it back then. I mean, the one thing I will say about puzzle games is they are definitely the type of games that everyone can play. Yeah. And, you know, female, male, little kid, older person, I mean, everybody really loves puzzle games. So there's different variations of all different types of puzzle games. There's there's stacking games. There's, you know, games where you have to get rid of stuff. There's maze games. I mean, there's all different types of puzzle games that are out there. But yeah, I would definitely say that Tetris is the one that everyone, almost everyone who makes a puzzle game owes something to really define the genre. Absolutely. And I can't think of a single person out there. I mean, there may be a few here and there, but people who, you know, play video games, you've played Tetris at least once in your life. Everybody knows about it. So, we know, we didn't really choose any songs from Tetris because, I mean, they're just so well known. There's so much other good stuff. Plus, a lot of them are like stock Russian music. Well, they're traditional Russian tunes. Right, right. But we are going to pick from a very popular Nintendo game for our first pick, and that is Dr. Mario. Dr. Mario. Do you remember the commercial from Dr. Mario? The, I don't. The witch doctor one? The I went to oh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, that was so fun. But Dr. Mario is very similar to Tetris. It is a pill stacking game. Basically, you play Dr. Mario, and he throws these pills into this jar to get rid of these viruses. You get three different viruses, blue, yellow, and red. The music was composed by Hip Tanaka, also known as Hirokazu Tanaka. Mm -hmm. We've talked about him millions of times. Millions of times. We're not really going to go into his history. Metroid, Dr. Mario, he did Balloon Fight. Yep. Yep. I mean, he's just done tons and tons of work for Nintendo, so we really aren't going to talk too much about that. What was your experience with Dr. Mario? Did you play it multiplayer mostly, or did you play it single? Single player mostly, however, my brother and I did play once in a while together. This was a game where 
So we had a we had a Nintendo at my grandparents' house too. We'd go there every Sunday for dinner, and so this was the game that was at my grandparents' house. My grandparents. I'll get into it a little bit later. But my grandparents were huge into puzzle games, mm. so they had Dr. Mario at their house. So my brother and I, you know, if we got bored waiting for dinner to, to, to be delivered or whatever on Sunday, he and I would just go downstairs, we'd play Dr. Mario or, or Tetris or something, and, you know, just, just hang out and play some puzzle games together. Cool. But for the most part, I think it was it was single player. Very, very fun game. Oh, yeah. The soundtrack from Tanaka, like, made the game. I yeah. think it just made it so cool. Yeah. Um, we've discussed in the past how Hip Tanaka was definitely influenced by reggae, reggae and definitely. it's super, super obvious mm -hmm. in this soundtrack. Just very heavy beats, very groovy bass lines, it's got that kind of slow cadence to it. Um, so the song that we're going to play, Chill, is probably, I think, the most iconic yeah, song from agreed. the game. I mean, Fever is the song that I think everybody knows, but Chill was always my personal oh, favorite. Oh, so yeah, it was always my favorite. Too. Yeah, yeah. So I always played it alone, just because my... My brother and I have seven years difference between us, so he's younger, I'm older. You know, when Dr. Mario came out, I remember getting, I didn't get it right away, I got it maybe a year or two after it came out, and I loved it. I had it on the NES. I never played it on the Game Boy, but I had it on the NES and loved playing it. I couldn't really get very far, just because I was never really that big of a puzzle game fan. Like, I liked them, but it, the soundtrack in most cases drove, like, drove, drove me to want to play the game more in puzzle games. So with this particular game, I agree that Chill is definitely a great song, awesome track, as you said before, with the reggae influences. And you know, the, the thing about this is I didn't really even hear it until I watched that interview that Hip Tanaka did with uh, that Red Bull. Oh yeah, you know what I'm talking digging about? Digging through the carts. Yeah, digging through the carts. Fantastic documentary if you guys haven't checked it out. Really cool, they interview Japanese video game composers and really cool stuff there but they interviewed Hip Tanaka and he kind of was just like yeah Balloon Fight and Dr. Mario and all that was all reggae influences yeah. and I was like wow now I hear it. <laughs> one thing I wanted to point out is this game has one of the creepiest moments in any video game ever and you're probably going to know which moment I'm talking about. When you lose in, t in Dr. Mario there's this moment where the music goes da 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 and then it and then it it's got this weird high pitched squeal yeah yeah and the viruses are still going crazy in the jar like screaming and you know like kind of like looking at you and it always creeped me out I think uh you know even today this this game was designed by Gunpei Yokoi yeah so creepy's kind of his thing with a lot of these guys. You know, obviously he was behind Metroid, too. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, you know, coming from the last episode, this is another Gunpei Yokoi and Hirokazu Tanaka right. team-up. That's right. Um, which kind of shows how different, you know, they, they could do puzzle games and they can do adventure games yeah. at the same time. Cool. So, But this one came out pretty much hot on the heels of the NES Tetris. It was released in July of 1990, so there was less than a year between Tetris and Dr. Mario. That's right. While, uh, while Puzzle Game Fever was still running at its highest. Nintendo Dr. Mario was the cure. Nintendo <laughs> Nintendo had the rights for Tetris for a while, if I recall. Yes, it was exclusive. It was exclusive. To their system. Yeah, they in, could, in America. In America. It was on right. the Sharp X68000 and all that stuff <laughs> later on. I'd say, I'll, I'm just anxious to get into this music. Yeah. It's so good. Let's go ahead and listen to Chill from Dr. Mario on the NES from Hirokazu Tanaka. Here we go. Thank you. 
Welcome back. That was Peggle Deluxe, and that game has been on almost every system ever. I think it was even on the TRS-80. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> Peggle is a really fun game. My girlfriend really likes so it. So addictive. Oh, it is really good. It's really addictive. And that song was supposedly called Peggle Beat 4. Now, as far as the composers, the composers are a group of people, basically a company called Somatone Productions. Normally we choose individual composers or we choose songs that for the most part I think we've stuck with usually like individual composers or the composers may be part of like some kind of like major sound team like Sega sound team, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. But with these guys, these guys are more new school. They're more, I guess you could say, combined. Like they combine their efforts to basically be like, hey, let's, you know, we know a lot about music and audio. Let's combine our efforts and try to go ahead and release some awesome tunes for some video games. They do a lot of stuff. They do a lot of production for like mobile games and Wii and DS and a bunch of games. So Peggle is probably one of their more famous ones, I'd say. Yeah, they've done tons and tons of stuff. They do voice work too. Yeah, they're just a complete audio package that you can hire out to do the audio for your game. Right. So the senior composer for the Somatome team is Mike Rasnick. And there's also Jonathan Kranz, who's a co-senior composer. Also John Hodge. So between the three of them, they have over a thousand games. That's crazy. You see their name between wow. all of them. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. And then also individually, aside from Somatone, another individual by the name of Matthew Lee Johnston is also credited for the music on this one. And he did the music for like Voodoo Vince and a bunch of the other Microsoft Game Studios games. Um, nowadays, he's the audio director for Microsoft Game Studios. Okay. So I'm not sure whether he was a part of Somatone to begin with and then branched off and then uh, got hired by Microsoft later on. Probably. But he's done, you know, audio production and visual production and, and all sorts of crazy stuff. So, but the music is just so groovy. All you the know? music is groovy. Yeah, that nice chunky bass line and the beats and it just kind of, um, you know, you're going to be playing Peggle forever and ever if you start playing it. Yeah. You know, it's just that kind of game and music never gets never gets old. Old at yeah. all. Yeah. No, it's very addictive music. It's very fun. I, I just really enjoyed watching people play the game too. It's not even about like just playing it. So the whole point of the game is there's these pegs, these little circles. I guess you could almost call it like Plinko a little bit. Very similar to that. Yeah, very similar. Yeah. And some of them are orange. Those are the ones that usually give you the, uh, like the special bonuses. And then the, most of the pegs are blue. Then you also have like green ones, and the green ones which have like special abilities for these woodland creatures that you pick from. Yeah, there's like, probably like a hundred or so blue pegs on the screen. Maybe only 20 of them are orange, and the object of the game is to clear all the orange pegs in order to win the game. Mm -hmm. And then uh, there's only two green pegs on the whole screen. If you hit a green peg, then your next your next turn will have a, the special ability for right. whichever character that you chose. Who is your favorite character? So there are a bunch of good ones, and then there's some really stinky ones, too. There <laughs> were stinky ones? Stinky ones. Like they smell? Well, their powers just weren't the hamster you know, was awful. The hamster. The hamster was, was good only in situations. That was the where, Egyptian one, right? Where major. No, that was the, the one. The cat was the Egyptian one. Yeah. 
that that was the the one that was like dudical. Yeah. Or radical. Hamster was the multi-ball. Yeah. He yeah. would get or tropical. Did he say tropical? I think he said tropical. He Something would, like he that. He would be like tropical. Yeah. And then you would get an extra ball and your extra ball would go go all over the place. Yeah. That one sometimes worked well. I tended to use him quite a bit. So the character that I used, I would probably say the most, was the specialist. Do you know of the specialist? The sp- there is no character called the specialist. No, there is. It's the owl. Oh, it's an owl. Yeah. Yeah. No, One his of my name favorites. is no, no. His name is the specialist. The specialist. I yes. can see that because his power was no specializing your shot. No, he, he he's the specialist because he takes you out. What he does is. So he, like a trained sniper. His his shot either pleases you or it screws you and leaves you lifeless and into the gutter. Okay, I that's, can see that. That's that's it. I can see that. Basically, his shot is like a Zen shot where it takes like the proximity like proximity of where you place the cursor. Yeah, it modifies your aim slightly, right. so it supposedly will get you a better score than right. what you had originally shot. So yeah, there's a lot of physics to the game. Absolutely. Yeah, because everything is like, how can I get? this shot from here to there and be able to knock out all these pegs. Yeah, you've got to angle your shot off of the pegs and if, you know, right. so the pegs are round, so it's almost like pool. Mm-hmm. You know, if you shoot a little bit to the left of the peg, then mm-hmm. you're going to ricochet off in one direction. If right. you're going to ricochet off the other direction. So it's all physics-based. Mm-hmm. It's extremely fun. It's probably a lot more fun than we're making it sound like yeah, just yeah. pegs off a board. I think we just both really like it. The, so. the, yeah, just watching, you know, watching your shot bounce around and like clear everything out and then after a while it's almost like Angry Birds where you start to get super, super precise with it. You can almost predict where it's right. going to go after a while. Yeah, it is a bit um, angry. And there's, there's different different characters to play as. They all have different abilities, mm-hmm. and the levels are really, really nicely laid out. You know, some of them have, like, pictures in the background, and then the pegs make up the picture or the rest of the picture right. and clear them out. So and there's a little storyline that you go through, and then, and then you take turns clearing the same board on the multiplayer mode. Mm-hmm. So it gets to be really competitive because yeah. you're... You're, you know, trying to get the highest score right. and trying to clear the board. You're gonna be the last person to clear all the pegs off the board because you get a huge bonus at the end. So, Peggle definitely a game if you have not played, try it out. Recommend. Soundtrack is great. The game is great. Peggle Two is also out as well. So. I really like the when you beat a level, and they play the "When I Want Movies, I Want to Watch Stars" song. When I want movies, I want to watch stars. <laughs> awesome. I have no idea what you're talking about, but it's funny. Oh, you, oh, I'm going to post that commercial on the, on the page. You need to see that. You know the song at the end of Peggle? Like, after you beat each level, it plays that song. Stars used to run this ad. You know Stars, the TV channel? Yeah. They used to run this ad that was like, when I want movies, I want to see oh, stars. So I never had stars. Oh, okay. Probably. No, but, so they used to show, I never had stars either, like until recently when my girlfriend was like, we have to have every cable channel ever, because <laughs> she loves TV. And so this is an ad that I'm talking about that they used to show on regular cable in the 90s and like the early 2000s, and it was always awesome. Anyways, I'm getting way off track as <laughs> usual. So what's our next game? We are, oh, your favorite game, Clax. Or your favorite oh, soundtrack, Clax. Clax. <laughs> you know, this this song is brutal. That is the only explanation for it. I like a lot of different types of metal. I like doom metal, sludge metal, black, some black metal. Usually production values are really bad on black metal. Gold so. metal, silver gold, metal, bronze gold metal. metal. Yeah, yeah. Olympic metal. Yeah, Olympic metal. <laughs> Get the gold. <laughs> There's also a form called, well, it's kind of unofficial, but it's called Degent Metal. It's just D-J-E-N-T. It was more popularized by this band, Meshuggah. This song sounds very 
mushuga-ish. I mean, the the time signatures on this are all over the yeah, place. Yeah, and it's, it's just, just super detuned. Everything yeah. is super low and yeah. gritty. Oh, it sounds awful. <laughs> I mean, I, I love it, but at the same time, it's just like so To the sludgy. average listener, it's like, right. what is this? It just, it sounds like you're walking in the mud. That is the best explanation yes, yes. for it. Okay, yeah. I can see that. Or like you're pulling. Swimming through marmalade or something. You're like pulling a train. Yeah. You know what I mean? With your bare Over teeth. Gravel. Yeah, with like, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So this this game is is really cool, actually. This came out on a lot of different platforms, Clax. It's basically a stack-up game where you take these tiles that kind of travel on this like Guitar Hero-ish platform down this runway almost. And you can bring them in faster or you can you know let them kind of trickle in. And basically you stack them up. If you get three together, then you clear it. And you know the whole point is get the highest score. That's basically yeah. it. So the music is pretty crazy. Most of the music in the game has a very like large amounts of PCM samples. Even this song, you hear a lot of like, come on, like, go, like whatever it says. Yeah. I can't remember, but. There's a, this is one of the only games, or the only Nintendo games that I know of that has an extra menu called Stuff. Stuff, yeah, and, yeah. And <laughs> uh, so there's, there, I think there's two, if I remember correctly, there's two things in the Stuff menu. And one is, you can use the A button, the B button, and the select button to play the PCM drum samples from the songs. That's right, So yeah. you can make your own beats using using those three buttons. So I would sit there for hours and make my own beats. <laughs> That's cool. Um, and then there was, what's it called, Blob Ball? I don't know if you remember Blob Ball. No, no. It's like a one-person pong. Okay. So there's like a row of spikes on the, on the, the right-hand side mm -hmm. and like a little platform that you can move up and down. But the ball, it looks like a little like blobby frog kind of thing. Okay. And as it bounces off of the walls, it doesn't act like a regular pong ball. It'll just go in whatever angle it wants to, like it's a living thing. Right. So you're trying to uh, trying to bounce this blob ball back off of your paddle, mm -hmm. but it's going in all these erratic, crazy directions. Hmm. It's, just, it's it's a lot of fun. There's no score. It's just something to play around it's just with. Just like a side you know, little this, this, weird game. This yeah. game almost felt like it was like a like a demo of some like the the whole class game. Yeah. Felt like it was like some sort of demo of some sort that just happened to get released on the NES. It's kind <laughs> of a really unique piece, and it's yeah. really really fun to check out. Yeah. No, I I think that this game is pretty fun. I mean, overall, the uh, I think the music kind of again. Most of these games, the music kind of makes you want to continue, makes you want to play. And when the tiles are kind of like going down the track, they almost have a musical quality to themselves on their own as well. Speaking of music, the composers for the game are David Oriva and Alex Rudis, who's known by LX Rudis in the game credits. So both of them have been with Atari and a couple of other game production companies. Dave Oriva originally worked on Rampart, and then he did Clax in 1990, followed that up with Championship Pool. He wrote the soundtrack to Primal Rage, which is kind of cool. That's a pretty popular game. Yeah. And then uh, his last audio credit was for NCAA Final Four Basketball in 94. But he's done graphics and art and programming and engineering. He worked on The Sims 2, which is pretty cool. There you he go. Has additional That's engineering support for that. Alex Rudis worked with him on a lot of games, but then he also went on to do games like uh, Resistance Burning Skies, he did Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, The Second Cataclysm, 
And it was uh, a Sega CD game. Right? Yeah, that was the '94 Sega. That's CD right. Game. It wasn't a beat 'em up. It was like a point-and-click adventure. It was. It was full-motion video. That's your right. car was driving into the screen. Right. Kind of like almost like I guess Rad Racer okay. or Road Blasters, that kind of thing, but with a full-motion video background. Oh, cool. And then unfortunately, he did the music for Trevor McFur and the Crescent Galaxy for the Jaguar. That that's no good. Terrible. I don't think we that played was a that. Game that was rushed out way before it got. Finished, oh, so yeah. the music was like almost gross. Bleepy and bloopy. It wasn't oh. very good. Anyways, most recently he was seen doing Battlezone. He was director of content and communities. Nowadays he like runs the fan forums for the official Electronic Arts okay. website and stuff like that. That's so. a pretty laid back gig. Without further ado, let us check out what is it called again? His <laughs> freaking name? Giganticus Breathalyzer. Yes. From Clax, from Dave Oriva and Alex Rudis.
In the beginning, there was Tetris. Blocks you could stack for days and days, and you loved it. Uh, I did? Yes, you did! Then came Hattress, stacking cute little varieties of hats on top of one another. I, I didn't play that one. Shut up! You own five copies all boxed and complete! Now there's Mattress. You stack mattress after mattress. If you get three of the same kind, you clear the space to make room for more mattresses. Oh, oh these mattresses weigh a ton. Do you think I could get some help? Help is for the weak! No refunds! But I didn't even buy this game! Twins, fools, queens, and kings. Even dog and kitty beds are stackable in the best Tetris-based puzzle game this side of San Quentin. But I live in New Jersey. Keep stacking! Oh, why, dear Tetris Lords? Why? Welcome back. That was from Tetris Attack, and that song was called Yoshi World, or it also, I guess you could say it was from the Yoshi stage. Yeah, so in the game, you go through several levels, and each level has a different enemy or yeah. companion, I guess you could say, and Yoshi would be the first of those themed levels that you go through. Yeah, it's based on Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island as far as like the enemies and the, the artwork, and the and artwork and the characters and everything, so... Since Nintendo still owned the rights for Tetris at that time, or they worked out an agreement to continue working on Tetris-themed games, this game is a little less Tetris-y, I would say, than you know, than than actual Tetris. The whole point of the game is you have these various different shapes and colored squares. So you'll have like a red square with a red heart in it, or you'll have like diamonds. Uh, like a green diamond, that sort of thing. And the whole point is just basically to match up, I believe it's three, four, or five at a time if yep. you can. And so you do that by swapping the colors. The Basically the stack keeps rising and it rises up on its own. Yeah. So it's not like something where the stack is stationary like it usually is on like, like regular Tetris. The cursor that you move around is basically two horizontally placed Right. Blocks. Like translucent blocks. Right, and right. so when you tap the button, it'll swap whatever two blocks are in that. So you kind of start using a technique where you're like walking the block from side to side to try to get it to match up with blocks either to the left and right of it or above mm -hmm. and below it. This was my grandmother's favorite game of all time. <laughs> I honestly hadn't played this game at all since she passed away. Oh, really? So I, I was playing it yesterday to kind of try to, you know, remember, all, and it all came back to me like <laughs> riding a bicycle. And I thought it would be difficult because, you know, I do miss my grandmother, mm -hmm. but it was actually a really fun experience. And I would remember, because like I said, we would go over there on Sundays, mm -hmm. so I'd be, you know, playing it and she'd be sitting next to me and she would, she would like, like backseat drive. Play yeah, play. help you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Edward, you could have gotten this block here, like what are you doing? Yeah. It was really funny. That's cool. I was saying before, my grandparents were huge puzzle game fans, okay. so we just kept giving them like Tetris games. My grandfather was um, the original Tetris for the Nintendo was his his game of choice. Okay. And I remember one day he came up to me and he was like, "Did you know that you can't get past like nine million nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred? Like the wow. Said, the score rolls over when you do that. Like yeah. why do they do that? I was like, Grandpa, are you telling me that you rolled the score <laughs> over in Tetris? That's awesome. And he thought it was no big deal. I'm like. You know, I was looking at like issues on Nintendo Power back then where scores were like in like the hundred thousands. Right. Like, you literally beat everybody that I know. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, these these games really remind me of my grandparents. I have some really good nostalgic memories of, of these games. I didn't actually play these games until college. My friend Brian, who we had on the show back in what, like episode four, I think? Something like that? It was five. Five? Episode five. Yeah, something like that. Brian and I would hang out in college, and I went to one school, he went to another, but he had an apartment that was not that far away, and he had a car, so he would pick me up, and I was only like five minutes away. And so we would hang out, and we would play just random games from random systems, and I discovered like so many lost hidden gems that I had never played before when I was in you know, grammar school or when I had a Super Nintendo in middle school or whatever. And this was one of the games, Tetris Attack. So I remember just like joking with him about how sleepy the music makes you in this game. It's all really good, yeah. fun, happy, silly music, but it's just, it's so relaxing and it's shit. That, it's that super warm bass tone they right. use, I think, that's just really kind of relaxing. It almost sounds like warmth, you know? It's yeah. just a very, very soft, Tones, you know, extremely tones relaxing too. stuff. Like yeah. flute tones almost. Just very like laid back music. Which is crazy because when you actually play the game and you get really invested in it and you're getting really far, this game is intense. It gets really intense and you're you're you moving the cursor all over like crazy. Yeah, I could get up to about five two, I think, in the adventure oh, really? or I did yesterday oh, I without needing to continue. Oh wow. Well just because like I said, I used to play it all the time when I was yeah. a kid. So, but it's it's that typical Nintendo difficulty ramp up where it's super easy in the beginning, in the beginning and then it gets and then crazy. once it starts getting harder, it gets harder like super duper fast. Yeah. So, by like the last two levels of of the fourth character, you're like kind of struggling a little bit. Right. And then once you get to that that lava area, you're like forget it, done. Yeah, I can't yeah. Do this <laughs> So, and then every time you would have to continue, it would take a little bit away from your score. And I'm like, oh man, come on, I'm working hard for these points. <laughs> so the soundtrack was composed by two people, Masaya Kuzumi. I can't pronounce the second one, so I'm gonna leave this to Ed. Ed, what's the pronunciation of the second one? This is terrible because I took a semester of Japanese. It's so. Yuka Tsujiyoko. Tsujiyoko, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't wrap my head around that one. So as far as Yuka Tsujiyoko, um, she did a lot of the Fire Emblem series. Yes. Um, she was also responsible for composing Battle Clash. Right. Which... That was a super scope game. Super scope game. Right. It's a very underappreciated soundtrack, I think. It's actually one Is of it? my favorite Super Nintendo soundtracks. Wow. But because it's super scope, not a lot of people have played the game. True. So I'm, I'll, I'll play some tracks from that in the future. Oh, super scope. But, I mean, for the most part, if there's a Fire Emblem game, her name is attached to it. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, no, she's mostly done Fire Emblem, uh, Paper Mario, The Thousand Year Door, Paper Mario, which was called Mario Story in Japan. Um, also did Metal Combat, which was also a- The sequel super, to Battle Clash. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And as far as anything else, surprise, surprise, she did an arrangement for Super Smash Brothers for the Wii U. No, yes, really? yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and then Masaya Kuzume. She doesn't have too much. She was credited for both Panel Depon and Tetris Attack, but they're both exactly the same. Same game. game. Basically, Tetris Attack was released in Japan under the name Panel Depon, right. and it had different characters. It was not a Mario character-based game. There was another game that, maybe it was Nintendo or maybe it was Sega, I'm trying to remember, but it was very similar and it also had two different names or it was very similar. Pokemon Puzzle League also was basically Tetris Attack. Yeah, these it? are all yeah. under the Puzzle League theme or, or series of puzzle right. games. Right, right. Yeah, so not much else that I can say about 
Tetris Attack. It's a lot of fun. It's a really great game, really chill music, and just overall awesome. So next song that we're gonna get into is Tetrisphere. That is actually the game that we're getting into next. The track is called Phony, and this is a very high energy song. There's a lot of influence here from, we, we were discussing it during the break as far as what exactly it was drum wise. It definitely we, has drum and bass and breakbeat influences. Right. We were like, is it breakbeat? Is, is it drum, drum and bass? bass? Yeah. Is it both? I think, well, you know, Neil Voss, who composed the game, we also played a track from him on the Game Boy Advance episode. It was the first track to play Racing right. Gears Advance. He has influence from electronic music all across the spectrum. So a lot of his music really crosses those boundaries between, you know, is this acid, is this house, is it drum and bass? He just right. kind of throws a little bit of everything in there. So this one, I think it's got that that kind of fast drum beat of breakbeat, but then it has a lot of drum and bass influences as well. Right. Super excellent composer. This guy knew exactly how to manipulate the N64 sound hardware and then the Game Boy Advance sound hardware too, if you remember Racing Gears Advance. It doesn't sound like it's a MIDI-oriented, you know, music engine at all. It's, right. It sounds like real techno. Now, this game actually first started out as a project called Fear, with the PH at the beginning, instead of an F. But that game was supposedly coming out on the Jaguar. But since the Jaguar was failing, they actually moved the development over to Nintendo 64, and they basically completed the game. And what they came up with was Tetrisphere. So. Voss did the composing of the soundtrack, I mean, the whole engineering of it and everything. And, you know, he's done other soundtracks. I mean, we won't get too much into it, but he's done the new Tetris, which is supposedly a really excellent soundtrack. I haven't heard it. Racing Gears Advance, which we just were talking about. He's also done a lot of work on the Commodore 64, working with, like, Sid. Yeah, you can hear a lot of his songs on the High Voltage Sid collection, right. which is a pretty popular uh, collection of, of Commodore 64 Sid chip-based music. Now, I haven't played this game since college, and when I did play it, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> a friend of mine, she was excellent at Tetrisphere, and I remember her showing me how to play, and I was just like, I have no idea what you're doing. So Ed and I, because Ed, you said that you hadn't played it, right? No, I'm not familiar. I'm familiar with the soundtrack, because right. I do enjoy Neil Voss's music, but right. I've never played the game before. So we watched uh, some video clips of it, since I don't actually own the game and Ed's never played it. What we gathered was that we were both very confused at the beginning, but then we kind of did a little digging and found out about you know, the various different modes and things that you can do in the game. So basically, you're starting off, you have a, a giant sphere of Tetris blocks. They're all in one giant big sphere. And you can pull blocks out, you can put blocks in, depending on what is showing that you can put in. Basically. You can manipulate them. Right, basically. basically manipulate them. As you're doing that, there the mode called Rescue is a mode where you can pull blocks out. And the whole point of the game, or the whole point of Rescue, mode is to basically get this robot out of the center of the sphere. So as you are uncovering more of the puzzle, you start seeing his eyes kind of like popping out at you and you're just like, what is that thing inside the sphere? It's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty neat. And the, the presentation of the game is phenomenal. Very slick. As well. Yeah. Uh, the menus kind of fade in, in and out of each other with like a kind of a gooey kind of fadey. Yeah. 
I don't know, watch the freaking video. Yeah, I, yeah. I can't really explain it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, all the all the robots and everything is very solidly put together. It's right. very sharp for an N64 game because you're not really looking into the distance. You don't have to worry about fog and stuff like that. Right. I just think it's a really cool game. Yeah. I actually kind of want to now yeah, I wanna pick it find up. a copy. And I need to get it with a manual so I can just, like, read through the manual yeah, and be like, yeah, what so. do I do in this game? There yeah. is a brief description on how to do it on the on the Tetrisphere Wikipedia page, but it still doesn't give you that visual right. representation. Yeah, I would need, like, I, I gotta say, I think in a game like this, I would need, like, a training mode. I would need, like, a, hey, how, how the heck do I do this? So, But without further ado, let's go ahead and get into Tetrisphere. This song is called Phony by Mr. Neil Voss. Enjoy.
find puzzle games a bit boring. Get a block, drop a block. Get a block, drop a block. <sighs> well, wake up, puzzle gamers! Puzzle games will never be the same again with Titch Report and Pega Magic Block Slide Dropper Extreme! We've taken all your favorite puzzle games and mashed them into one for the most extreme puzzle experience ever! Guide your block across the screen using portals, all while avoiding turret fire, spikes, Yoshis, Russian cathedrals, and Japanese high school girls! But that's not all! Your blocks are equipped with weapons of their own! Choose between laser pistols, M16 assault rifles, incendiary grenades, and the most powerful weapon of all, the Tetrinator! Guaranteed to clear four lines of blocks with one single detonation! Tetraporta Pega Magic Block Slide Dropper! Tetraporta Pega Magic Block Slide Dropper! Tetraporta Pega Magic Block Slide Dropper Extreme! Welcome back. That track was from a little game that you've probably never played. And if you have, well, you probably live in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> it's called Carrot Magical Block, and it's for the Sharp X68000. Yeah, this game was released on a couple of different systems. It was at least released on the X68000 and the PC-98. I went through, you know, a couple different versions of the soundtrack to figure out which one I wanted to choose from, and I think the X68000 version was definitely the best. Yeah. PC-98 version was, was pretty good. It was the YM2608 version, so the synth sounded a little bit better, I think, but the drum beat, I mean, you just needed those those thick PCM samples that the X68000 was capable of. And they were a little tinny in the PC-98 version, so I like this version a little bit better. Yeah, this version is great. I really love this track. Just balls to the wall metal. It's just really good. I love the melodies, like just the dueling melodies, the various different octaves and stuff. It's, it's really good stuff. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I picked this track, because I figured you would like it, too. It's always Aww. nice when there's something we could focus agree on, you know? <laughs> Sweet. So Hitoshi Sakimoto is actually behind yeah, yeah. this game. One of the, the soundtracks that he's made that you know never ended up coming out in the U.S. So it's nice to be able to share some music from him that not a lot of people have heard before. Basically popular for doing what was it Final Fantasy Tactics? Yep, for me. Tactics Ogre. That's what I was. Thinking oh, Tactics about. Ogre. Yes. Oh. He's personally famous for me because he did Midnight Resistance, which had an excellent soundtrack, especially that. Flood of Power song. Oh my god. Yeah. Still love that yeah. track. No, that was a fantastic soundtrack. Yeah. Carrot was 1990s, actually only his third game. And he worked on it with Masaharu Iwata and Yoshio Furukawa. Iwata ended up joining him when Sakimoto formed Basescape, his right. sound production company. And Iwata has hundreds and hundreds of games <laughs> under his name. Everything from like Bloody Roar, he did the Tactics Ogre series along with Sakimoto. Okay. Uh, he worked on some of the Bleach games, Full Metal Alchemist, Battle B Daman, which was a really good Super Nintendo game that never came out over here. And uh, just, you know, from systems everywhere from the PC-88 all the way up to the Wii nowadays. Actually, at Bumble, Sakamoto didn't compose Midnight Resistance. He just arranged, he arranged it for, it for the, the Genesis. Genesis. Right, yeah. that's right. Using, mm -hmm. using the tools that he created. Using the awesome. He's awesome Genesis. No, player. just using the awesome. The awesome? Yeah. Is that like... He arranged <laughs> this soundtrack with something that I like to call the awesome. Is that kind of like... Uh, it's kind of like Mojo. Is that kind of like you use Okoshiro's music love? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. awesome. The awesome. So uh, most recently, Iwata worked on the saga of Ishtaria 
which came out last year. He also worked on that with Hitoshi Sakamoto. So they're both still very active in the video game industry. Yoshio Furukawa, there's not much known about him. He did Veritex. It was a Mega Drive shoot 'em up that never came out in the US. It had a really good rock soundtrack. It sounds very similar to this track cool. from Carrot. So I know you've played this game. Yes. So tell me all about it. At first, it kind of looks like your generic puzzle game. Okay. You have tiles, you know, squares of different colors, and they fall down in vertical groups of two. Kind of like Tetris Attack? Mm, similar to Tetris Attack. Okay. Well, no, Tetris Attack, everything is going up. Oh, yeah, that's right. No, but I mean, like, oh. in terms of two, like, moving things in terms of two, or... Well, when you press the button, they just basically they swap. Oh, they swap. Okay. So almost kind of like Dr. Mario, except that you can't rotate. You can't rotate once you place it. vertically. They're always vertical. Okay. So you press one button to, to change the orientation. The second button, there's a little icon on the bottom, which looks like a D-pad. It's got an arrow going up and down and left and right. Okay. And if you tap that button, it kind of turns 45 degrees, so now everything is diagonal. Hmm. So when you push the button, you can only match blocks diagonally. Mm -hmm. And if you push the button again, you can only match blocks horizontally or vertically. Okay. So the trick behind the game is to get huge amounts of combos. So you can set up like a ton of vertical matches of three and keep the icon in the diagonal position. But then once you've got like stripes of a whole bunch of different colors, you can tap that button to snap it back to vertical and horizontal matching. Okay. And then everything that's matching like that will clear off the board at once. You can kind of build these diagonal and, and horizontal and vertical combos and then mm. switch your orientation icon back and forth to okay. clear the things that, that you know the orientation matches. So it's a cool kind of way to strategize and build up your combinations without having to worry about clearing off the board by doing too many matches in the process. Kind of reminds me of, in a way, Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo, because you're building gems. You're making these huge gems. Right, and then you've got to blow them up all at once. Yeah, yeah, very similar. You're kind of using tactics to right. kind of preload your combos before yeah. making them exist. I was going to pick from that game for this. Actually, I had put it I, in. I was thinking about that too. Yeah, actually. yeah. Oh, it's such a fun game. So for this game, as far as the art style, it's of course anime based. It looks like there's a bunch of very underage schoolgirl type. I mean, I think it's only one schoolgirl. Oh, it is. Her panties are always hanging out while you're playing. Just... It's one of the reasons why I never came out over here, too. You Japan. know, and, and again, like I've like I've said before, with some of the other PC ninety eight games that we played in the past, and and X sixty eight thousand games, that it was a more adult market for yeah. those games in Japan. Yeah. So they were kind of aiming towards. You know, they were like, okay, we've got a puzzle game. How do we get people to buy this? And of course, you put a schoolgirl with her panties hanging out. I, you know, and I'm okay put her in the screenshots. with that stuff if you're gonna market the game towards adults. But why little girls? I mean, you know, like this girl looked young, like you I've know, under before, 15, under 16. I've 17. said it before, and I'll say it again because Japan. Because Japan. Because All right. Japan. Okay. Well, well done. <laughs> Moving on to our next game. Yes. This is a game that's actually out in the United States. It's out currently being played everywhere. This is called Doctor Who Legacy. So I picked this one because obviously Doctor Who fans and people who are also gamers will probably know about this game. But the cool thing about it is that Chris Holzbeck composed the soundtrack okay. for it. So I'm sure there are a lot of you out there who are Chris Holzbeck fans that are not Doctor Who fans. So I feel so torn right now. You know, this is this is a way to get to hear that stuff without having to go download a Doctor Who game. Mm. The game itself plays a lot like Puzzle Quest. Have okay. you ever played that Yeah, one? I love Puzzle Quest. So basically, you Never know, got you've, far in it, you've got enemies at the top of the screen that you've got to eliminate 
and you eliminate them by dragging gems around the screen and making match threes. Different enemies have different affinities for different colors. The cool thing about this game, though, is that every time there's a new Doctor Who episode, the game gets updated with characters and enemies oh, from that episode. That's pretty nifty. So you basically pick one of the 13 Doctors as your like primary player. He's like your strongest guy. And then you can pick all companions and stuff from the show as your extra characters, and you can level them up as you go. So it's got a very good RPG aspect to it. A lot of different challenges you can play. I really enjoy it. The soundtrack is mostly symphonic, I guess you could say, but there's little elements of electronic, and I really like the track that I picked because it's got a very slow build to it's it. It's got a very big build, yeah. And it ends up having this really kind of sweet theremin melody in the foreground after a little while, and mm -hmm. some electronic beats trickle in into the background. So it's a really good way to see where Chris Halsbeck has evolved to since all of those awesome soundtracks Turk that he used to make for right. the Amiga and the Genesis and Jim all that. Power. If you guys are Chris Holzbeck fans, he has his own Twitch streaming show. He does it usually, I think, like once a week or once every other week. And he goes on there and sometimes he's got other composers from, you know, the old Amiga scene and they'll talk about the classic games that he composed for and kind of go a little bit behind the scenes. And he's a really personable, friendly guy and he's got, you know, the, the whole chat thing is open and he'll like, you know, answer questions as you type them in. So it's really cool behind the scenes show. Well, it's almost like a podcast, I guess you could call it. Right. Um, that Chris Holzbeck puts out. So I'll, I'll put a link to his Twitch account, I think on the, on the Facebook page so you guys can check it out. It's a lot of fun. Anyways, let's get to the music. This is Doctor Who Legacy. This is Gameplay One from Chris Holzbeck.
Welcome back, everybody. That lovely little Asian ditty was from Shanghai Triple Threat, and that was the Saturn version of the game. Asian ditty sounds bad. Why does it sound bad? Asian ditty diddle. Uh, I don't know. Like P. Diddy? P. Diddle. Asian P. Diddy? P. Diddums. <laughs> Asian P. Diddy, that would be something to see. Yeah, no. no. I'm not up for that. You know? <laughs> Wouldn't it just be Psy? You know, the dude that does the gangam. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Style. Yeah. Opa Diddy style. Opa Diddy style. <laughs> Imagine Diddy Kong, like, dancing to... Okay, now we're getting super duper way off track. <laughs> super Diddy, Super P. Diddy Psy Racing. Super... Let's make it a thing. Super P. Diddy 64. P. Diddy 64 Racing? It's just Diddy Kong. P. Diddy Kong Racing. Somebody needs to make a remix of Diddy Kong music and just put P. Diddy rapping in the background. Oh, that'd be awesome. P. Diddy mashup. Yeah. I actually just did a rip of the Diddy Kong Racing uh, DS soundtrack for do, my do website. You, so. Do you think uh, Do you think Mo Money Mo Problems would uh, would sound good in the background of like a track from Diddy Kong Racing? <laughs> <laughs> Let's make it happen. Yeah. So this game we both have played. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I owned this game on the 3DO. Well, I still own this game on the 3DO. 3DO. And it's a lot of fun. You. Silly. I love my 3DO, man. <laughs> I got it at the price drop. It was like 250 bucks or something, and uh, you know, I've played so many good, fun games on the 3DO. But this, this was one of the games that was actually my most favorite. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's Shanghai. So remember, we were talking about Mahjong. What, what was the, was the, the Sharp X68000 <laughs> yeah, episode? Yeah, I think so. We were talking about the difference between difference Mahjong, between Mahjong and, Shanghai, and Shanghai, and yeah, Patty yeah. got him confused. Yeah, so yeah. this is an actual Shanghai game. Yes, it is. Where you get a pattern of tiles on the screen, right. and your object is to match the tiles using like pictures on them to remove them from the board until they're all completely removed. But right. you can only match the ones that have a free edge on the left or right hand Correct. side. So if they're stuck in between two different tiles, you can't remove them no up until they're freed up by removing the ones next to them. I bought this on a whim. Actually, I was with you when I bought Not it. Not too much of a win, because I pretty much goaded you into buying Yeah, you it. did. Like, this is really good. You're yeah, really you did, it. actually, now that I think about <laughs> it. Yeah, we were at some game store, and I couldn't find anything. And they had this game for like five bucks and it was complete, perfect condition. I was just like, five bucks? I was like, eh. and you were like, no, get it, it's good. Yeah. So I got it and I really like it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Actually, Scott, he and I sat down one day after I got it and we played it for like hours back in my old apartment and we just loved it. Like it was a lot, a lot of, fun. of fun, especially multiplayer was a lot of fun. Oh, how does multiplayer work? I think I've only ever, I don't know if the 3DO had a multiplayer mode. To tell you the truth, actually, I don't have maybe on the Saturn version. I'm just trying to think because it's been almost a year since I played it, hmm. and I'm actually thinking that maybe it wasn't multiplayer. Maybe just we were just turns. passing it back and forth. Maybe. Maybe it was multiplayer. You know, I, I can't, can't remember. I think there was a multiplayer where there's, um, it's like split screen. Yeah. No, that's right. No, that is correct. The board. Yeah, yeah. Now that now I do remember now because we were both holding controllers playing. Yeah, and the screen was split screen. Yeah. 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 No, it's really cool. It's a lot of fun. This track is very Japanese. I mean, just well, straight up. the whole up. soundtrack is, and you know, most Shanghai games. It fits. It, yeah. it fits. So this was technically the third Shanghai game in the series. Triple threat. If I am correct. It was released for the 3DO, the Super Nintendo, the Saturn, and then after the success of the Saturn version, they converted it to uh, the Sega Titan, which was the basically the arcade version of the Saturn right. hardware, which you know only came out in Japan. That was prior to Naomi, of course. Yeah, Naomi yeah. was based on the Dreamcast. Right. So Titan was basically the Saturn version of the Naomi, right, I guess right. you could say. So after Shanghai Triple Threat on the Saturn came Game No 
Tatsujin, The Shanghai in 95, and then Shanghai Great Moments in 1996. Great Moments. So this kind of spawned a few other sequels to its name. It's just a very popular series. As far as the sound composition goes, we haven't really been able to track anybody down. Shigeharu yeah. Isoda is credited for porting the music to the Saturn and writing the sound driver for it. But he's mainly an audio production guy. He only ever wrote, I think, two games, and he did uh, the PC Engine version of Afterburner 2 and also the PC Engine version of OutRun. So they were mostly arrangements of existing Sega tunes that he ported over to the PC Engine. So, you know, I wish I could give the actual composers credit for this music because it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's just, good. you know, one of those games where you find yourself humming it to yourself after you've played it, especially since you've probably been playing it for three hours like I used to. Great Moments sounds like one of those episodes of like 90s sitcoms. You know, they have like an actual episode where like something's going on, but they're just like, do you remember the time the when- episode. The flashback episode, <laughs> yes. So that's what that reminds me of. Is, that's what we need, a yeah. game called Shanghai Flashback. Yes. <laughs> Instead of Great Moments. <laughs> do you remember that the time? Great Shanghai War of 1975. Do you remember that time when I moved that block? That was great. <laughs> Let's go back to that. Remember when I matched those two? Yeah. Gosh. Great. I wish I could go back to those days. Oh man. <sighs> We're moving on to another game that was only released in, uh, well, it never came to the States. It was released in Japan and Europe. This is a Game Boy Advance game called Kuru Kuru Kururin, which basically translates to round and around. And this is a song from the Ghost Castle stage composed by Atsuhiro Motoyama. What? would you say if you had to use one word to describe this describe track? Describe Kuru Kuru Kuru? Oh. No, this track. Ghost Castle. Think hard. Spook Chip. Oh man, you fail. Spooky! Wow. <laughs> From the Halloween episode? Yes. Um, why, why do I fail? I just you, 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 you didn't get the cue, my friend. Oh, you wanted me to say spooky? I wanted you to say spooky. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so this game, tell me about it. Is it good? Yes. Sell me it. It's actually a lot no, of No, I mean, give me your copy. But I only found out about this game actually very recently. Okay. Um, I was just kind of looking through cool puzzle stuff that I haven't played before as, you know, suggestions for the for the podcast and came across this one and was like, wow, this soundtrack is really, really good. So the premise of the game, and it's kind of like a little story mode where you, like, you're a little penguin-y alien character that has to go find your brothers because your mom is worried that they've gotten lost in this other world area. So it's like Attack of the Mutant Penguins, I'm getting an Attack of no, the no, Mutant No, 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 there's no there's no actual characters like in the game itself. Okay. Basically the premise behind the whole puzzle game. Okay. The ship that you get into has like these spinning arms. So it's, it's constantly rotating and you're basically just this this horizontal line that just keeps rotating around in a circle. And so you have to get through these mazes with this rotating circle, you can't touch the edges. So a lot of these edges, they will be very narrow and kind of like curve around in like a half circle kind of deal. Okay. So you have to wait until you've timed your rotation to get through. So like your stick will kind of curve around the circle as it rotates. And then every time you touch an edge, you lose three seconds. And if you run out of time, you lose the level. Your explanation is giving me a very DK King of Swing vibe or Jungle Climber vibe? Uh, not really the same at all. No? Okay, no. maybe I'm just a bad listener. some videos. <laughs> uh, 
Um, it's, it's basically like a don't touch the edge kind of game. Operation. Uh, if you're familiar with like Irritating Stick, which was on the Neo Geo, it's kind of the same. Or those it's been uh, a lot of stuff. Wasn't that on the PlayStation One as well? Yeah. Or yeah. if you like, you know, you go to those arcades that have all the Midway games, and you've got like this little wand, and uh, it's got like a metal edged maze that you have to get through, and you have to get through the maze without touching the edges. There would need to very be very similar to that. There would need to be arcades in order for us to go to the arcades. This <laughs> this track is one of my favorites from the game. It's called Ghost Castle. It kind of reminds me of like a Castlevania yeah. Game Boy song. Spooky. Um, Spooky. <clears throat> for, for the majority of the tracks in this game, they used Game Boy hardware for, for the melodies of the song and then used the wave channel capabilities of the Game Boy Advance for the percussion. So what you get is this really cool Game Boy song with really heavy like sampled percussion. Mm -hmm. And so this kind of reminds me of like a Castlevania or like a Link, like a Legend of Zelda dungeon kind of okay. theme with like some really cool drum beats over it. And I think you all will enjoy it too. Atsuhiro Motoyama who wrote the song worked on like just a lot of games. A lot of them never really came out over to the U.S. He worked on the Ranma One Half games for the Super Nintendo and the PC Engine. He did a strike out in the U.S. Ranma One One Half, not Dato Ganso Musabetsu Kakuto Ryu. Ah, there were I think three or four Ranma One Half games for the yeah. Super Famicom. I think only one of them, one of them. which was one of the one-on-one -on -one fighters, right. came out for the Super Nintendo. But there were some other RPG. Um, hmm or uh, like action-adventure kind of games that also came out right, from, right. from the series. Oh, okay. Um, but anyway, so he also worked on Bloody Roar, Armed Police, Bat Rider. He just did one track from, from that, but um, Sakimoto also worked on that one oh, cool. as well. So after Kuru Kuru Kururin, he worked on Kururin Paradise, which is a sequel to this game, also for the Game Boy Advance. Did some stuff for the PS2, like Fire Pro Wrestling Advance and an Inuyasha game. And then his last game, to his credit, was Style Savvy. For, uh, for the Nintendo DS in 2008. So, without further ado, let's get into the music. This is Ghost Castle from Kuru Kuru Kururin from Atsuhiro Motoyama.
Ed, what track did we just listen to? That was called Robots for the Win. Yes. And that was from one of my favorite games ever, Portal 2. I never got into Portal. You never got into Portal, no. man? You owe it yourself. You need to get into Portal. Yeah. I played the first one a little bit, and I don't know, I got bored with it pretty <sighs> quick. I mean, I like puzzle platformer type games. Maybe I just need more time with it. Anyways, for those who aren't familiar with Portal, it is an offshoot of Half-Life and Half-Life 2. It's created by Valve, the company that made, you know, all of those games. And Half-Life 3. <laughs> Not confirmed yet. They had, yeah, they made Half-Life 3 and Half-Life 4 after the Armageddon. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the concept behind Portal is that you're in a first-person kind of testing environment, and you have a gun which can create portals between, trying to explain this correctly, you can create two portals. So you can create a portal on one side of the room and the other side of the room, and if you walk through one portal, you come out the other side. The other side of right. the portal. That's literally all there is. There's no weapons in the game. Right. You literally have to use this portal gun to solve your way through the entire game. And the big draw behind the game is that it's got a fantastic story and there's this kind of robot antagonist throughout the entire thing called GLaDOS. And she's absolutely hilarious. She's got this synthesized robot voice, but she's just sarcastic and she's constantly kind of intimidating and, and, and berating you throughout the course of both games. And so it just makes the game kind of a joy to play. It's a big brain teaser. You know, there are a lot of these areas within the game that you really have to use your 100% of your brain power to get through. And I've played through both, I really enjoy it. There is a multiplayer mode in Portal 2, which this song plays at the end of. So the multiplayer mode consists of two robots that are kind of owned by Aperture Science, which right. is the company that's making you go through these tests. And so they have to kind of team up to get to the end of the game. The cool thing about this game is you can actually play PS3 to PC. Oh, cool. cross-platform multiplayer. That's pretty nifty. And I'm kind of waiting until maybe Eddie's a little older so that he can play this game with me. Okay. Uh, multiplayer. I've played through both single-player modes and had a ton of fun with them. Kind of seems like an unfair advantage if you think about it, because PC controls for something like that, a first-person type game, even though it's a puzzle platformer, kind of feels like whoever's playing on the PC would have the upper edge. There is a little more accuracy using a mouse and keyboard. Yeah. But to some people, if you've played enough first-person games using a controller, you know, you're almost as accurate as you are with a mouse. And you're not competing against each other in the game. Too. You're, you're, the whole game is cooperative to get through you know, these rooms. Hmm. So, I, I don't know. There's, there's that age-old debate between controller and PC, and you know, or controller and keyboard and mouse, and which one is better. I think with the Wiimote, with the nunchuck, actually really kind of nailed for consoles, first-person shooters. Yeah. Or first-person games. But I think for like pinpoint accuracy, the mouse is still the way to go. It's yeah. just like pixel accurate, you know? I think it's just because it's at a click of your finger, versus, you know, point and shoot yeah. sort of atmosphere. I think the point and shoot kind of feels different, but I mean, anything's better than analog or D-pad control schemes. No, I like, agree with you there. If you're playing a first person shooter, first person, uh, you know, game on like PS2, it's just abysmal to play. Yeah, yeah, and, and I did, I played through both portals with a mouse and a keyboard on the PC, yeah. so I, I don't have any real experience. I think Eddie played the first portal on the, because it's part of the orange box, he right. played it on 360 a bit. He was able to do it pretty well. Yeah. But then again, he's mostly a first-person controller kind of guy. So, right. yeah. I agree. I mean, it's and a lot of it is about, it's the next best thing. Really. It's about how you were raised, too. True, true. You know? Yeah. Like, Eddie's always just been on the on the dual stick, so right. that's the way he finds it. But he's played Minecraft on the PC, too. So, he, I think he's got the advantage because he's kind of grown up using <laughs> both. 
Dad, I'm on the dual so, stick. So seriously, he's probably going to be beating me at stuff. The Portal 2 soundtrack was composed by Mike Moraski, which for the official soundtrack that Valve put out was under the pseudonym Aperture Psychoacoustics Laboratory, which kind of fits in with the whole Aperture Science testing right. on people deal. And psychoacoustics, I guess, kind of really fits in this. Mike Moraski hasn't composed too many video games, but he's done lots of filmography. He started off with the Day of Defeat source version uh, for Valve, and then worked on Portal, the original one with Kelly Bailey, who was also the composer for Half-Life 2. He then moved on to Team Fortress 2, both Left for Dead games, Portal 2, and then after that did the Counter-Strike Global Offensive game. So he's pretty much just stuck with, with Valve doing yeah. their games. His music is really cool. It's a good blend of like modern, gritty kind of... More like movie soundtrack-ish as far as not maybe Portal, but like, you know, the rest of the yeah, Team the Fortress other... 2 and Left 4 Dead. They're very cinematic, cinematic atmospheric yeah. sort of things. Yeah. For, for Portal, he used lots of retro sounds. He's used like the triangle wave from the NES right. and then he's used some stuff from Atari ST and some cool. switch modulation from, from Commodore 64 and then would overlay them with more modern synths and, and drums and Bananas. so everything in this game the soundtrack, I believe, has like 64 tracks to it. And, and it's also dynamic within the game, too, so it kind of changes as you're playing okay. through it. The soundtrack itself has more fleshed out versions of the songs that you would hear in the game. So this Robots for the Win, you only hear kind of a little bit of it at the end of the multiplayer mode in Portal 2, but this is kind of a big fleshed out version of it. But it goes anywhere from like really ambient, kind of understated, sound effecty kind of stuff to that track that I posted on the Facebook group that I almost picked, which is just yeah. super duper aggressive industrial hardcore beats that I, w I was actually going to pick it but then I realized that many people probably wouldn't appreciate it so this one's got more of a kind of a commercial aspect should have went my route man just pick it hope for the best yeah I don't know but I, I kind of like this one too because it shows off more of what Mike Moraski can do as far as being a composer I just so. want people to be miserable while they listen to Giganticus breathalyzing oh man see kinda, I kind of enjoy that one yeah no I was digging I it I think it's pretty cool yeah so that about wraps it up that for does our it. tracks. We really enjoy puzzle games. We're going to do a puzzle volume two eventually because there's a lot of tracks that didn't make the cut yeah. for me. Yeah, same here. Yeah, which reminds me, going forward, thanks to feedback from a lot of our fans on the Facebook group, we've decided to kind of expand our format a little bit. So we're going to add two more songs and an extra break to our podcasts going forward. So right. we'll have... 12 tracks. 12 tracks instead of 10. Mm -hmm. A little extra talking. I've, I've felt like maybe the five tracks each, there's like a lot of stuff that doesn't get. Yeah. Especially when we're doing like a like a one game or a, like a game series. Right. Uh, we show. feel like we always miss stuff. Or... or we have to omit a lot of things. Right, So right. I think this will give us the freedom to kind of add a little bit more to our That's, show. It was really, I mean, it was mostly feedback. The thing that we were really worried about, I think, was just time format and the amount of time that we were talking and yeah. the amount of you know songs that we had picked and 10 was always just a good number but uh you know starting with episode 30 which will be next episode whatever we do um, we talked about it we did yeah i can't remember fighting games man oh yeah fighting games so we'll be doing fighting games next time around so we'll get to pick 12 tracks so ed gets six i get six this will be a lot of fun we'll fight about whether we'll street fighter 2 or mortal kombat is better you know I like Street Fighter. I do. Okay. I just think Mortal Kombat is more fun. 
I like Mortal Kombat too, but I think Street Fighter is more fun. So we'll, we'll agree to disagree. We'll, we'll we'll have a musical battle about yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, that'd be fun. So I'm gonna go puzzle out of here. Don't have a puzzled look on your face as I exit out from this puzzle we call life on Pixel Tunes Radio. There's Mike the Rambler Levy again. <laughs> <laughs> so you can check us out on youtube.com forward slash dongle to watch the little video accompaniment for your tracks. Also, we have this entire podcast available on iTunes if you haven't listened to it prior. Where else can you find us, Ed? We are most active on facebook.com slash groups slash Pixeltunes Radio. We're about 90 members strong at this point, That's and right. it's a great place to come hang out with us, check out extra content from the podcasts that we post and uh, just share your own stuff with us. That's if you've right. got some cool tracks you want to share, let us know. If you're still a member of the page, switch over to the group. Yes. Because that is the key Absolutely. for doing things. We're also on Twitter at Pixeltunes Radio. With the role of the arts. Radio. Thanks for listening to our puzzle episode. We'll be back with two extra songs next time around for our fighting games episode. Mike versus Ed. Fight! Round one. You're dead. See you in a couple weeks, boys and girls. (laughs) See ya.